0: White House today blasted the leak of over 90,000 military documents. The
1: military logs expose hundreds of informants. There are lives at risk here. I need names of sources who could be harmed if these cables are put out. They're coming
0: after us. We need to publish now.
1: This is the biggest leak of classified information in history.
0: The Guardian, New York
1: Times, all standing alongside you. This is gonna change everything. He's not a journalist. He's a threat to national security. This is all about survival. Lives are at stake. What about the lives of the civilians in these conflicts?
0: Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast throwing a ponytailed James Gandolfini down the stairs because he stands in the way of our David Pamer biopic. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, freelance entertainment writer Chris File, and I'm here with my co-host, Senior Writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. Hello, Mr. Reed. Hello, how are you? I am doing quite well. I am maybe a little too energetic to talk about this non-energetic movie. I was going to
1: say, it is both very early in the morning and a very not great movie that brings us here today. You could
0: say we are, like, masking. We are our own leakers here in the information that uh, we are back to normal. We've been talking about movies that we've loved the past few weeks or, like, surprise that we loved, like, last week with Get Shorty. Um, And we are back to going into, like, some junky movies here. some Krabby Patties this week. We're hitting it hard. Um, This week we are... Uh if you didn't already guess from the trailer clip that started the episode, we're going to take a look at the least possible wave-making biopic on a controversial figure, the yeah. fifth estate. Um it's about the rise of WikiLeaks um and Benedict Cumberbatch plays Julian Assange, media provocateur and controversial public figure. Um, the movie's directed by Bill Condon, opened in 2013 during the major ascent of Benedict Cumberbatch when he was becoming the hot new thing, um, but also amid like a lot of really heavy-hitting movies that we all kind of love. It was a very packed Oscar year, um, and as we mentioned, unlike some of our recent movies we discussed,
1: this movie is pretty bad. Yeah, welcome back to the schadenfreude train. We are... Yeah. Once again, yeah, talking about movies that really kind of flopped.
0: Um, So, before we get into it, Joe, would you like to give us a 60-second plot description?
1: You know, all right. Yes, and yet also I just want to prepare everybody because... I watched this movie yesterday, and a lot of it's fallen out of my head already, so we'll see how it's this very goes. that. We're also going to find out how little I know about recent world history right here. <laughs> it's not going to be great. All right. I
0: mean, you could argue with the movie. Maybe Bill Condon and screenwriter Josh Singer don't know that much about recent <laughs> world history. Yeah. Um, all right. Tell Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Your time is starting
1: now. Okay so Julian Assange boy that Julian Assange with his white hair and his Australian accent so he's this Australian computer hacker who we find out in the movie that he had a childhood with a cult and and he keeps telling different stories about his childhood and about his white hair and it's weird and he meets this guy Daniel Berg at this hacker convention and they get together and get uh, build WikiLeaks which is ostensibly this news website entity 30 seconds oh shit um they want to like help whistleblowers that's like the ostensible purpose of this and they end up taking down banks in europe and the british national party and they like tattle on they hack sarah palin's email account and it all gets really fucked up when they get the uh Hundreds of thousands of leaked documents Ten from, Chelsea, from Chelsea Manning, which like really fucks up U. United States diplomacy. And Laura Linney and Stanley Tucci are part of the State Department, and they get involved. And Assange is a really controversial figure, and we don't know. If and he's that's good or your bad. time. Oh boy,
0: yikes! I was really I was... worried you were not going to get to Laura Linney and Stanley Tucci. Come on, I was always going to get to Laura Mackey. Linney and
1: Stanley Tucci. Oh well, because whatever. like a huge
0: chunk of this movie, like goes away from WikiLeaks. And Julian <laughs> yeah. Assange and deals with at least the U.S. political ramifications of it. We don't really necessarily see that much. Uh, Can I tell
1: you, like, I get, other I get why Assange is a fascinating figure and all, and he probably should have a movie made about him at some point. I really wanted to see the full-length movie about what all these State Department's people had to do to put out the various fires. Oh my goodness! Like,
0: because that's the best part of this movie. I thought the exact same thing. Like, Like when Laura Linney is talking
1: about, like, how she, like, put Hillary's name on these, like, statements that had, like, really trashed these world officials and whatever, and they have to, like, patch up all these relationships, and, like, the part with Alexander Siddig where he's, like, a spy or whatever that they have to get out of Libya before they kill him or whatever, and it's, like, that we've seen in a billion movies before, and I thought that was kind of whatever, but, like, I want the, like, Washington bureaucracy story almost, like, where it's just these State Department officials trying to smooth over hurt feelings because all of these cables that went out with, like, American officials calling them stupid or calling them vain, and it's that thing I talk about where, like, the end of the world isn't going to come by natural disaster or nuclear strike. It's going to be some hacker who decides to make everybody's Twitter DMs public and then like the fabric of society immediately just falls apart within days because we all just start killing each other. It just sort of becomes the purge because we all find out what we all think about each each other behind closed doors. It's that. It's that happened to the State Department. All their DMs were made public. Just imagine it. That's the movie that
0: I want to see about this story, or at least the portion of the WikiLeaks story that this movie covers because, obviously you know, this is this movie's only five years old and WikiLeaks continues to be an ongoing like, source of
1: yeah, well, like, it's biz- Horrible in our culture It's bizarre to see a movie about Julian Assange that was made three years before the Trump election because so much yeah. of how we feel about him has changed and like, watching, I watched a little bit of the interviews with Bill Condon and Josh Singer from the 2013 Toronto Film Festival where this movie world premiered and it opened and sank, the festival. Opened the festival and sank like a stone. Um but I I think a lot of the thing about this movie, and I think a lot of the reason why this movie ultimately fails, is because I don't think even they had much of a handle on what to think about Assange, and I think they thought that like Jeff <laughs> are you a Simpsons viewer? I think I asked you this recently before. There's yes, I am a episode. casual
0: Simpsons viewer. I am not good for, like, Simpsons facts, Simps- nope. Simpsons random quotables. Not good for it, but I love the Simpsons.
1: So there was the one episode <clears throat> where they did Model UN, and Bart had to give the presentation on Libya or whatever. Um, and he's like, their 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 primary export is corn, and he said, like, one other fact about them. And he just goes, in conclusion, Libya is a land of contrasts." And I feel like that's <laughs> what Singer and Condon have with with Assange here is like in conclusion Julian Assange is a land of contrasts. Well because, because like, this
0: movie wants to have its cake and eat its to eat it too in a million different ways about him and like never really <coughs> excuse me. They never really get into like who he is as a person, what their perspective is going to be about him. Yeah. And like like because... I either
1: want this like wild shaggy dog big fish kind of a story about this larger than life Australian figure and, you know, delving into all of the rumors that we hear about him and maybe they're true and maybe they're not and you sort of film them in a way that maybe lets us decide, or some real fucking studiousness about and and I will say for his... I don't want to sound like we're dumping on Josh Singer because he after this movie, um writes Spotlight wins an Academy Award for Writing Spotlight with Tom McCarthy, and then is nominated, right? No. Were they nominated for The Post? They should have been nominated for The Post. I don't think they were. Um, Co-wrote The Post, which is like, nobody loves The Post more than me. So, I don't want to dump on him too much, although I did want to say, right up at the top of here, go on Josh Singer's Wikipedia page sometime. His early life and education section fully sounds like his mom got on Wikipedia and, like, wrote two full paragraphs about like it talks about how he was elected class treasurer and he was a national merit scholar and he was voted like most likely to whatever and he was on the baseball team it's very 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 much like the best little boy at at high school kind of thing this that makes you would me read want about. the josh singer biopic i mean honestly uh he's an interesting guy though he started uh his career started he uh, got in with John Wells and started writing for the West Wing in the post Aaron Sorkin years which I think is a very interesting time to join the West Wing so he's you know writing for this show as it's in especially during its like season 5 season six growing pains he only has one right write- uh, one episode credit in season seven which is when I think the show really makes a big creative comeback um, and then fifth estate is the first movie he writes Uh really really falls flat as we will talk about but then like spotlight wins an academy award the movie wins the academy award the post which is you know undervalued but he gets a golden globe nomination he co-wrote that with liz hannah by the way i should probably say that um i think he actually did the polish on her script is that what it was okay
0: i remember it as when the movie was announced they were taking her script, and I only remember her name being attached, and maybe he was just, like, the set writer. So he's the guy who just won the Oscar for
1: bit. the movie about journalism, and they've got the new movie about journalism. It's funny, the, the, you know, it's almost like a de-evolution between, like, The Fifth Estate, which is just, like, hack journalism and, like, you know, busted apart at the seams and all the rules don't apply, and then Spotlight, which is such a meat and potatoes, you know, the the virtues of shoe leather journalistic reporting and then The Post which goes back even farther into the past about like you know telling truth to power and all of this and it's this very interesting sort of triptych de-evolution where I feel like and I feel like you know the movies just get better I think Spotlight and The Post are both probably equally very great Um, and now he's done the screenplay for First Man which comes out this fall the Damien Chazelle Neil Armstrong biopic, first man. So, not about Which journalism. It should be
0: in theaters the week that this episode drops.
1: You're very good about knowing when these episodes show up in people's podcast feeds. Thank you for that. Um, first movie he'll have written with that isn't about journalism. And doesn't really have even a journalism angle to it, so credit to him for that, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think he's a good... I think he's probably a writer that will be easy to sort of brush aside because it's very much like you know, American institution filmmaking.
0: (laughs) Well, and looking at just some of the movies you've mentioned already, I think it's safe to say when we're talking about Oscar Buzz, and especially in the future, he's a name that we're going to see come up quite a bit. Yes. So I think it's interesting to look back at his first film, which... I think especially on the screenplay level is very flawed. It tries to do so many things at once. And it's like, it's about four different movies shoved together, three of which are really bad in this version. And then one, like the Laura Linney, Anthony Mackie, um, Stanley Tucci stuff that we mentioned is actually pretty good. And like the movie we would most want to see. But if, this script had chosen to be any one of those movies, it yeah. would have made for a better movie. I will tell I you, this movie thinking... lost
1: me right at the beginning, and I guess oh, this, yeah. I, this I got to put on Condon, because that opening montage where it's like hieroglyphics, the Gutenberg press, the 95 theses being like nailed to the cathedral door, and it's... The opening
0: credits for this movie, listeners, if you haven't watched it, which, why would you... Um the It's on Netflix, credits, so
1: just watch the first five minutes and laugh your fucking ass off. It's a little
0: wild because it's like this shitty CGI like looks like 20, from 20 years ago, not from five years ago, basically on the history of the print form, or at least the media form of how information has been disseminated among the populace. <laughs> like, as Joe mentioned, there's like hieroglyphics, the printing press, and it's all Very the way up through nine
1: eleven and the internet, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's like, like, and so it places Assange at like the the cutting edge of modernity of this, which is all of this is tradition. fine
0: if you want to be like a movie about like the history of media and news spread among how, like, information is disseminated, basically. But this movie is not about that. So it's, like, it's just this silly little hangnail at the beginning of the movie.
1: It doesn't really even wrestle with the journalistic concerns beyond the fact of, like, protecting sources. Like, the big conflict that happens between Assange and uh Daniel Berg is whether all of these sort of uh, documents, this, this great huge United States security leak, should have the names of the people redacted because, you know, these are people whose lives could be impacted and, and put in danger and Berg and the journalism establishment, represented in the movie by David Thulis and Dan Stevens, who are playing Guardian editors yes. and reporters, right? Yes, work, they work for the Guardian, um, and they which that's are very... a whole
0: other story too. That's way more interesting than the movie allows it to be because you also have all of these global uh, news networks working together on this story in a way right. that we really don't see. Like whenever we see journalistic entities on film, they always seem so isolated.
1: Yeah. Like I will say the... the much more interesting version of that story is honestly Citizen 4. Like just watch Citizen right. 4. I think that gives you that doesn't have Assange specifically, although he's always sort of like his name is always sort of like lurking around the edges of that movie and WikiLeaks is um and that's a movie that is not does not shy away from its own sort of moral quandaries and controversies. I think ultimately it obviously comes down on the side of Edward Snowden because you know, the filmmakers were embedded with Edward Snowden. Like it's obvious it, this that's a good example of a movie that has that takes a firm, like takes a position, takes a stance, and yet still allows you to sort of see all the other angles to it. That is not a movie that is packed to the gills with real life figures I like. You know what I mean, necessarily? Yeah.
0: Whereas the Fifth Estate the Fifth Estate is, like, by the end of the movie, it, like, just looks at the audience and is like, that Julian Assange guy. I
1: don't know. Again, like, a land of contrasts. Like, it really doesn't give you anything <laughs> more than that. And it's crazy that we could have spent all that time with him. And, like, I get that it was – we we had more complicated feelings about him back then because a lot of people did feel like he was doing necessary work and exposing things that needed to be exposed. And I think the Trump stuff and the 2016 election stuff has really colored the way we think about him. And that's probably politics, but it's also the fact that we had like an extra, we've had an extra five years now to consider the kinds of things that he does and the kinds of, you know, who he's answerable to. And it's not. You know, I think we've had five more five more years to become increasingly disillusioned with Julian Assange, and not saying that the movie needed to get there sooner than we did, but it leaves us at a very sort of unfinished time for Assange, and because of that, the movie feels very kind of milk toast about him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I agree. I mean. Let's get to the Oscar buzz for this movie.
1: Yeah, so why did this Uh, thing have Oscar buzz in the first place?
0: I mean, I think whenever you have a very timely figure or a political figure and a movie's coming out at a certain time of year, this movie opened in mid-October of 2013, that already perks up a lot of Oscar watchers' ears in that, you know, that's just kind of the formula for a certain type of Oscar buzz movie. Um Uh, Also, at the onset, we mentioned this was during the rise to major popularity for Benedict Cumberbatch. So it's like you put an up-and-coming megastar at the time we thought he would be at the forefront of a biopic like this, and people are going to be looking at it for Oscar.
1: Cumberbatch's career is interesting because he gets... I think Sherlock starts in 2010. Yes. And I honestly feel like we... Cumberbatch isn't a thing without Sherlock, because Sherlock gets him those crazy fucking fans. Like, no movie that he did helped to get him that kind of following the way that Sherlock did, where he plays... And the way he plays Sherlock, it's... I mean, not to get into, like, the the psychology of fans and fan culture, but the fact that he plays Sherlock as this kind of, like... Asperger'sy introvert who like can't help but be a dick to people. It's this very kind of I don't know. It's it's this kind of character that I feel like rallies fans or it's uh, do you remember when community was happening and everybody yes. really loved uh, fuck what was that character's name? Not the one. Abed. Um, and I think that was another sort of example of just like I think fans kind of flock to these characters who are Charismatic, but also a little childlike? A little sort of, you know... Distant. Distant that they need protection. It's these... (laughs) I don't know. There's a sense of sort of rallying around a vulnerable character that I think is irresistible to a certain type of TV fan. And... Absolutely, and I think Cumberbatch was the huge recipient of that. And then, so then, twenty eleven happens, and I think that's his big movie breakthrough, right? Where it's Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. I think is an like unexpectedly really big movie for him because. It's his most interesting performance. Before then, he was just the creep from Atonement for me. Like, and it took a while oh, for me to so, not just like, see him. good and disgusting. He's in Atonement. so fucking gross in Atonement. Like, he looks he's like
0: exactly what that movie needs him to be. And yeah. he's
1: brilliant, and it's so gross. Like, even just his face looks like an opossum's face in that. Like, it just looks. He's so predatory, but also like. Fay and creepy and just uh, he's the absolute worst yeah, and of course yeah, yeah. he's the reason that all the like terrible shit in that movie happens <laughs> so it's very easy to just like pile all of your anger because you don't want to be upset at Bryony it's like it's no, you know she
0: tried. She, she, she didn't She's know. An She's an artist. just a
1: little girl, and she was Sersha Ronan. And, and then she was... um oh, Gary. Gary. And then Gary. Vanessa Redgrave. You're
0: supposed to hate Romula Gary.
1: We I can't hate you. any of those people. Come on now. No, we're going to um, hate fucking Benedict Cumberbatch with his weird molesty face. Um, you have to bite it. Ugh, ugh. God, ugh. Chris. I'm sorry.
0: Sorry, listeners. So Um, 2011 happens, and Tinker
1: Taylor, Soldier Spy goes a long way for making me forget about Atonement, because he plays this sort of conflicted guy who gets caught up in some stuff, and tragic stuff sort of happens to him, and... closeted. Yeah, yeah. And I think he
0: gets a lot of attention for that movie, especially because he gets to have some emotional catharsis, and that's a very, like, chilly, like, buttoned-up movie. Yep. So... Like that's how he catches the attention because he gets to be kind of the release within the movie in a certain way.
1: I think you're exactly right, and then he has this sort of spotlighted role in War Horse, which is, as you know, is a movie that is near and dear to my heart. I'm really coming out with all of the unpopular Steven Spielberg faves today. Not unpopular, but like nobody's hey, Joe, favorite how
0: about you talk to us about hook what are your feelings on hook <laughs>
1: do you up. like hook shut up no um but like i will fully grant that nobody's two favorite spielberg movies of the last 10 years are War Horse and the post but you know what that's fucking me so shut up um i defend the post how dare you um you can have your bridge of spies people you can have your whatever the hell else i don't know um He's really good in War Horse, although he's no Tom Hiddleston in War Horse. I will say that War Horse did almost as much for me to launch Tom Hiddleston as a guy as as the Avengers did, as the uh, uh, the Thor movies did, because I just... <sighs> he's so good in that movie. Anyway, but yeah, you're right. So 2013 happens, and he's every in... Well,
0: Go he's ahead. spotlighted in a lot of things. We had him playing con not con in Ugh. star trek into darkness explain that, whole, that like, a little dance. bit
1: like like go into that a little bit because that's worth discussing he becomes the recipient of a lot of sort of negative buzz through no fault of his own
0: because there were all these interviews i think with him and jj J. abrams where they're like he is not playing con i am not con in the movie and, like, that's the big reveal of the movie, and it goes to essentially no end. It was um, one of those things and, where
1: it's just like, we know you're con, and they're like, no, he's not con. They're it's like, like no, we know we're you're con. and then you see the movie, and it's like, yeah, he's con.
0: And it doesn't, like, serve anything. No. Like, it would have actually probably boosted the movie a little bit if everybody knew. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, that movie is fine otherwise, but, like, that is a major, like, misstep in how, like, you promote a movie because, like, the expectation is, like, so... It it promotes a lot of ill will towards that movie. But this is the year, uh, that was his biggest role that year. He was also in The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. He was the voice of Smaug, the dragon. But he played a dragon, which is like a perfect casting choice. He really does well with that considering he did so well as a dragon in atonement as we've mentioned yes um,
1: there and <laughs> I did not like him con- I did not like him in August Osage County I would say that's the one movie that year where I'm just like oh yeah like this is not well I was for going me,
0: to the next movies that he has this year are the awards movies right he's right. August Osage County he's incredibly miscast yeah. as like the younger cousin who, like, just can't get his shit together. He's supposed to be, like, a 40-year-old man who, like, has a lot of feelings and just cries all the time. But he's just really, like, miscast in this role. As if you've seen August Osage County, you know there's an incestuous relationship between him and his cousin. Turns out, nope, that's his sister! It's Um, become
1: so hard to see Benedict Cumberbatch as a character who has a lot of feelings... Because so much of his persona in other movies is about bottling up those feelings. So it's... And, like, he's just so so mannered.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. He's so mannered in it. And, like, I I feel like that's part of the reason why people love Julianne Nicholson so much in August Osage County is because, like, I don't think that script is served by having it played by a cast full of recognizable faces.
1: Yeah, I think that's true.
0: Um, because it's like, why is he in this role? Um, And then he also has a small part in 12 Years a Slave. um, I will say a
1: crucial small part in 12 Years a Slave. I feel like that's a character that to me unlocks what is great about what Steve McQueen does with that story, and what Mm -hmm. is sort of next level about the American slave narrative that he does with that movie, because Cumberbatch plays a character who is ostensibly like the good white man. He is kinder than the... He's certainly like they really like contrast him with the Fastbender character who is brutal and terrifying and all that. And Cumberbatch is like the nice one. And yet Cumberbatch ultimately actively declines to take steps to put an end to anything, to help yeah. anyone. And, and that's ultimately where the movie moves from individual white people can be good or bad to the system of slavery was an evil that broke, that like encompassed good men and bad men and all men. And it was
0: also crucial, he played a preacher, right?
1: That sounds right.
0: I feel like he was some type of religious figure too so like, even that has layers into the systemic evil of what he's
1: Anyway, so yeah, it was a big, complicated year for Benedict Cumberbatch, and this...
0: And this was, like, the role, right? Like, this is the one where it's like, okay, well, yeah. this will be right the movie. This will be his real chance to be in the conversation.
1: And then the Bill Condon thing also, because Bill Condon is an Oscar-winning screenwriter. He won for Gods and Monsters. I was thinking yesterday, because that was sort of an upset when he won for... Um, for Gods and Monsters. I can't remember exactly what was the favorite that year to win, but I know that it was like a surprise because Gods and Monsters ultimately was not a Best Picture nominee that year. I think a lot of people thought it might be, but ultimately it wasn't. And Well, and
0: it had a lot of goodwill as well, but it was not going to... A lot of the goodwill for that movie surrounded Ian McCullen, but he was per- like did not have much of a chance to win Well, Um, so
1: as I recall it, that going into like the end of the year sort of awards shows, I especially remember going into the Globes. Everybody figured, oh, it's McKellen or Nick Nolte, and they're running like neck and neck. McKellen for Gods and Monsters, Nolte for Affliction. And then Jim Carrey unexpectedly wins at the Golden Globes that year for the Truman Show, which I thought was like an amazingly fun and, you know great thing that the Globes did. I think it's a great performance and that's ultimately one of the like better Golden Globes moments that they were able to sort of look past whatever baggage Jim Carrey had as this like rubber faced comedian and award that. But also then Carrey winning that and McKellen and Nolte not getting any momentum from the Globes then allows Roberto Benigni to come up the like side path and ultimately Sort of get ahead of these two really great actors giving great performances, and I think I would hope the people who voted for Roberto Benigni like fifteen years on look back at that and cringe a little bit. I (laughs) I hope because good lord, it really does feel like Hollywood was duped for a good four months there, right?
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, and Ian McCollin is just so good in that movie. This, I feel like, as far as Bill Condon's filmography, and we'll get into Bill Condon because I am a staunch defender of Bill Condon. Okay. I feel like Gods and Monsters is a good comparison for this movie as far as what works and what doesn't work in this movie. In The Fifth Estate. Because you have this like character study about an interesting man in like the ecosystem of Hollywood. And it gives you enough information about like the film industry and like the impact of his horror movies. It's about, um, uh, the director of Frankenstein and bride of Frankenstein. He was a closeted gay man, James et cetera, Whale. et cetera. Yes. James Whale, um, played by Ian McCullough as we've mentioned. And, like, there's a whole lot of business around his story, his personal story, right? But the movie focuses largely on him and his, like, personal side. Whereas, like, the fifth estate is filled with business everywhere. And... Like because it tries to take all of that in rather than focus on one angle, it just becomes a mess, right? Like to the point that Benedict Cumberbatch isn't even really
1: given much to do. The Fifth Estate seems incredibly eager to follow any number of rabbit holes away from Assange. Whether it's yeah centering Daniel Bruhl's character as almost a POV character, which I get because much of the movie is based on that ma- that character's book, that real life guy's book. um about assange with other sources but um but it wants to follow down you know the david Thulis rabbit hole and obviously we talked about laura linney and stanley tucci and the state department and it sometimes feels like a movie that because it doesn't quite know what it wants to say about assange it is eager to change the subject (laughs) when you know when we get to talking about assange But I want to talk about you and Bill Condon because I look at Bill Condon's filmography and first of all he's like he's never directed a Best Picture nominee although he's come incredibly close twice. Gods and Monsters as I mentioned and then he directed Dreamgirls which was favored to be like the big thing in 2006 and was shockingly left off the Best Picture list and as you know The Departed kind of passed it in the in the rearview mirror um i feel like this is a filmography as i look at everything he's directed though um even with if we start with constant monsters as a starting point because before that he directed like *Candyman*, farewell to the flesh and which is rad yeah i've never seen it i will all right i i mean like i'm more so meant that it's really
0: cool that bill condon directed that movie oh i get um... you I kind of I'm I kind of like I don't know.
1: I think there um, are more Candyman bad movies, movies, movies than good movies on his filmography. I look at both. Oh, definitely. Both definitely. Twilight Breaking Dawn Part One and Part Two. Even though the second one ends, there's so much batshit stuff in those two that I almost want to give him credit for it. And the second one ends with the most hilariously audacious end credit sequence I have ever heard of in my entire life. And it will, whatever that Christina Perry song that sings over the end. Every time I hear that, all I can see is like wispy pages turning as we see, like, the various cast members from all of the fucking Twilight movies. It's really kind of hilariously prestigious. Um, But he directed Mr. Holmes, which I thought was fine. And then yeah, Beauty and the Beast, which I think is terrible. Which is an outright
0: just abomination of a movie. And, like, still I defend him. Partly is, like, he's one of the few out film directors especially working within the studio system too yeah. because he's essentially become a studio guy you mentioned twilight and beauty and the beast um but <laughs> i don't His know other I oscar he...
1: nomination was when they commissioned him to patch up the it was a patch up right on the chicago screenplay uh
0: he was hired for chicago yes yeah um because there were a million screenplays for chicago because they'd been trying to make it for 20 years yep um bill condon gets a lot of mileage for gods and monsters kinsey and dream girls for me um i think whereas beauty and the beast does not show that he knows this i think dream girls deserves a lot more credit than it gets for bill condon knowing how a musical needs to move on screen um to be exciting and engaging and just like that movie's kind of a freight train um and I think a lot of modern musicals don't understand, like just the forward momentum of how a musical like that needs to work on screen. Um, I was also a big fan of The Big C, which he spearheaded initially oh, right. the Laura um, with Laura convention. Linney. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: and I mean he's buds with Laura Linney. How can you how, like? I know. How do you not want to get incredibly... on his good side, guys? Buds with Laura Linney, Almost Left to Drown by uh, Ryan Murphy. Did you read that profile of Ryan Murphy over the summer? No. Oh my god. That one that I think that was like the New Yorker or New York Magazine or something like that. Did this, Ryan
0: like... Murphy's a crux for me. You know that.
1: I do, but there's this amazing story that Bill Condon tells because the two of them used to date about um, about Ryan Murphy. About how they were doing something on a boat somewhere and Condon fell into water and... He said that as Ryan Murphy was sort of standing there waiting to rescue him, that he saw flash on his eyes the the momentary impulse to just let him drown. Yeah,
0: which, sounds like Ryan Murphy.
1: Which, I mean, I can't imagine that that story made it into that article just because like, it really is incredibly... <laughs> Unflattering isn't even the word, but um, but really eye-opening and illuminating about uh, Ryan Murphy, who I also oh. he is your Horcrux, but I I am more a defender than not. Anyway, I think well, Col- I mean,
0: like it's when it's how deep his hands go into something. Like he produced Pose, but like Pose is
1: not his show. Um, but I don't think we'd have gotten Pose if not for Ryan Murphy. So I feel like that, that is very fair. He's a he's um, a person who uses his power for good more than evil. I do feel like.
0: To Bill Condon, yes. to the thing of like what I love about Bill Condon, I think the things that he does well are not the things that his studio movies ask him to do, and I think he gets away from with the Fifth Estate that like if he was in touch with this particular skill set, I think the Fifth Estate would be great at is, I think he does really curious and warm portraiture's of with those three movies that I mentioned of a lot of different characters or like centering on one, if you're talking about Kinsey or gods and monsters that just like kind of get to the soul of who people are. And I'm always interested to see that on screen. Um, And like the fifth estate is just not in touch with that at all. Probably again, because it's trying to do all of these different things, but I don't know. I mean, like, I think that's I want a Bill rare Condon to trait. direct
1: this story, the Julian Assange story, for the stage, and have Laura Linney play Julian Assange <laughs> in like a <laughs> one-woman <laughs> show. That's the story that I want. That's what I want. We Condon do want
0: to. Laura Linney to uh, play Julian Assange. That would be
1: wild and crazy. her haircut in this movie is like halfway there anyway. Honestly, yeah, it's this like power short sort of like no frills no takes no guff kind of a hairstyle it's uh uh, she was she honestly was my favorite part of the movie her and tucci
0: I mean, like she's costumed like really, like interestingly. Like it was like somebody dropped out at the last minute because they got a stomach flu or something. <laughs> Meanwhile, Laura Linney was shopping for an outfit at J. Crew. Bill calls her and is like, "Hey, girl, are you available?" She's like, "I'll be right over. I'm just I'm checking out at J. Crew." She's like, um, "I'm bringing
1: the wine." Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I think those are a lot of good reasons why it had Oscar buzz. Why did it fail? Feels very. Almost academic, because like we both don't think the movie is very good. But I think opening the Toronto Film Festival in 2013, it really, you talk about movies that go because Toronto is kind of a, you know, it's a crucible of its own where sometimes it's just enough to like not get uniformly great reviews because you really are fighting against the great buzz of so many other movies. And I think. Also,
0: to open with really bad reviews or, like, mixed negative reviews is not great because you have, like, a whole week of movies premiering afterwards that can just, like, bury you because they get great reviews.
1: Well, and I, you know, I looked back through Rotten Tomatoes, and the reviews aren't as uniformly horrid as I recall. Um, I remember that movie being, like, hugely... Savaged, and I guess it wasn't, but like it was not, it did not get what you needed to get to break through. I feel like that was the year of like Dallas Buyers Club was at TIFF that year. I want to say, and
0: Gravity 12 Years a Slave. Oh, and right, that was 2013 the year that 13 is insane. Like 12 Years a Slave I think-
1: played, and uh our friend kyle buchanan sort of declared it as the winner there and it started this like huge brouhaha on twitter about like it's too early you can't say that now and from people who hadn't seen that movie right um people's choice winner that year was philomena which made its way to a surprising best picture nomination philomania philomania was running wild in 2013 yeah, that was a that was a big old year for even stuff like Augusto Sage County. So Augusto Sage County is another example of like that had kind of middling buzz, but it was able to weather that a little bit better. Whereas like the 5th State just never recovered. Like stumbled out yeah. of the gate and never ever got back on its feet.
0: The 5th Estate is like a lesson in wait for the movie at least to be seen before you really try to like talk about buzz for a movie yeah. because all of the conversation around this movie around Benedict Cumberbatch was before the movie even premiered and the second it premiered it was out of the conversation it bombed at the box office opened against like the third week of gravity still like raking in a ton of money and it debuted at like number 8 it's even Bill Condon's lowest grossing movie Yeah, if you can believe it um
1: well bill condon's had- bad movies all made money that's the thing like it's not like i think bill condon's best movies like easily make a less than his good movies i would imagine kinsey didn't make a ton but like kinsey might be my favorite movie of his um but he's like the twilight movies beauty and the beast like those all made tons and tons of money talk a little bit about the DreamWorksness of it all and then i want to talk about daniel Bruhl for a little bit
0: yeah, Dreamworks, it's interesting because this is a DreamWorks movie. It's kind of at a transitional time for DreamWorks, like when their heyday it was like far gone. The previous year <laughs> they had Lincoln, but I think DreamWorks is different when you have Spielberg attached to it, Yes. whereas this movie does not. Because um, DreamWorks was their own entity for a hot minute, and then they... Well, they had partnerships with Paramount, other studios, and at this point they were dying out because of financial issues, their movies weren't making money, and they were, they attached themselves to Disney with Touchstone, which, remember when Touchstone made movies? I know. Uh, The vivid, like, Touchstone logo attached to, like, all of the VHSs we owned.
1: It's amazing how much those, like, movie logos have that kind of pavlovian response for me where like the dream work little fisher boy we've we've already talked about the focus features thing um now i noticed it the other day i I saw a trailer for something that otherwise i would have been like this trash it was that movie with zazie beats and um werewolves and fast food or something I don't know. I can't remember. I think it's called. No, it's the it's the demonic pizza place movie. It's called Slice. Slice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, with Chance the Rapper. Yeah, the movie that yeah, yeah, like A twenty four had like teased for two years and well, then dumped.
1: This is what I'm saying. So I saw the trailer. I watched the trailer for it last night online, and that A twenty four bug at the beginning of it has engendered so much faith and trust in me that I'm just like, oh yeah. Huh, like I am gonna, I am gonna at least give this a little bit of my attention because it's a twenty-four. I trust that they are not going to, which is like kind of funny because like they've made movies like Tusk. It's not like they've made bad mo- like they haven't made bad movies, and yeah, and
0: people give a lot of sway to their direct TV movies that are like more direct TVs than theirs. That they're like,
1: oh, it's a twenty-four, and
0: it's no, they're not gonna do anything for this. They're gonna shove it on. DirecTV and a month later put it in five theaters. But I think they've Um, done
1: such a good job of branding themselves that I, you know, they've given me, I've given them my trust. And I feel like DreamWorks for a while was that studio where it's just like, you know what? At the very least it's a DreamWorks movie.
0: Well, and I think in this era of what DreamWorks was, I think it's a slight, like, I think it's it's not a big talking point, but I think it's interesting to note that the type of And maybe this is a hang-up for me in particular. For studios, especially in a year where you have things like Gravity, 12 Years a Slave, even, uh, like, American Hustle and Her, which Her had Warner Brothers behind it, If, if a studio doesn't necessarily have the infrastructure to really push a movie the way that it needs to be pushed, like... I think that's something to consider. Like, would Benedict Cumberbatch have even been able to get arrested if the movie had been received well? And I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah, I'm not so sure either. But I want to talk about another actor who almost, almost made it to Oscars shortlist that year. Not for this movie, but Daniel Brühl, who I think gets the like walks out of this movie the best. I think the movie clearly prizes his character the best, and like even his scenes with like alicia we haven't talked about alicia vikander being in this movie like a full just came to my head like and it's it's not i forget sometimes that her breakthrough at least with me the first time i ever noticed her she was in anna karenina and that was the year so before this that so and then i can't remember what year i think also 2012 was um what was that foreign language film um
0: a royal affair
1: for me, Anna Karenina was the first time I was just like, at least if you can like that she's you were always already sort of hearing her name as like a thing. I don't know, whatever.
0: Because she was also in a million movies like for yes. several years, yeah. you know. You couldn't escape her. And like this is one of the ones where she plays just a girl. Just the girlfriend. She's literally just a girlfriend yeah. so that Daniel Brühl can talk to her.
1: Could not be less important. Anyway,
0: I would love to be Daniel Brühl's girlfriend that exists just for him to talk to me.
1: So Daniel Brühl in this movie is good, fine I would say, but also in 2013, also actually I think at that same Toronto Film Festival, he was in the Ron Howard car racing movie Rush where he played uh burnt Nikki up Lauda. burnt up car driver Nikki Lauda. Um that movie is one where I think opinions vary wildly. I've talked to people who really love it, I've talked to people who really hate it, and a lot of people on some degree of the middle. Um, I was sort of mixed on it in general. I thought Brule was great, and he came very, very close to getting an Oscar nomination for it. He's one of... I sort of did this little amateur tally yesterday, just doing the supporting actor and actress categories because when you talk about the Golden Globes, it gets a little bit trickier with the musical or comedy and drama acting nominees. Um, but since the SAG Awards became a thing... 15 actors have gotten Golden Globe and SAG Award nominations in the supporting categories, but not Oscar nominations. Um, so these are performances like... I always think of like Dennis Quaid in Far From Heaven and Maria Bello in The Cooler, Mila Kunis in Black Swan, um, John Turturro in Quiz Show. Some interesting ones on this list. Hayden Christensen for Life as a House. Like We forget how close some of these people came to getting... Oscar nominations. I feel like we're all going to kind of forget that, like, Helen Mirren for Trumbo had gotten Golden Globe and SAG nominations. Angelica Houston for The Crossing Guard, which seems like...
0: Helen Mirren for Hitchcock.
1: No. Wait. In lead, I guess. Yeah. I only went through supporting, but that's probably Uh. true. Um and then the one I always think of, it's most tragic, is it happened for Cameron Diaz twice in three years. Oh, my God. Right? It's for Being John so Malkovich sad. and for Vanilla Sky, it is still super, super bums me out that Cameron Diaz never got an Oscar nomination. I think she's been Oscar nomination worthy at least twice, probably three times. Um, I think she's... Please
0: tell me number three is in her shoes. It her absolutely
1: mind. is in her shoes. She's phenomenally good and in, in Her Shoes. Not only performance-wise, but in playing to type in a way that is very canny and I think is very knowing, I think I I could go on forever about In Her Shoes. I think Curtis Hansen did such a fantastic job with that. I think everything about that movie is perfect. Fabulous movie. Um. So Brule then gets both of those nominations and ultimately gets snaked. I'm going to put the blame for that one on Jonah Hill because that was the traditional... You know Jonah Hill doesn't get any Oscar buzz until the very end, and all of a sudden, there he is. Um, also nominated for Supporting Actor that year, that was the year that Jared Leto won for Dell Spires Club. Bradley Cooper for American Hustle, one of the building blocks to what we all assume is going to be the A Star is Born Oscar for him this year. Barkhad Abdi was nominated for Captain Phillips, a movie I love, and Michael Fassbender, we already talked about him being in 12 Years a Slave. So... Yeah, it's kind of sad that like Brule came so close, and now I think has gone back to what he was doing before the Fifth Estate and Rush, which is sort of nondescript European heavies, like he is in uh, in yeah. Captain America: Civil War, <laughs> to
0: like bounce off of other like leading characters.
1: He just looks very and he also German. Plays he Nazis looks very a lot. He, well. I mean. I always say about Daniel Brühl, like, he plays Nazis a lot because he looks like he would a be a good Nazi. You know... The thing about Daniel
0: Brühl is, like, I'm always so... Like, every time that I see him, I'm like, oh, he doesn't have to play a Nazi I this know. time. <laughs> even though it's like, I've probably seen him play not a Nazi more than I have seen him play a Nazi.
1: So was there anything else we wanted to talk about? I feel like we haven't really even talked about the movie all that much. I feel like we kind of bounced off of it a lot just because... I think that's all you can really
0: it. do with this movie is, like, bounce off of it and, like, beg it to be better than it is. Or, like, be one of the several movies that it is so that it could be, you know, actually dive into those things. I did appreciate um,
1: that it included a in-movie sizzle reel set to M83's uh, oh my God. outro. That, like, that was 2013. Like, that was your go-to <laughs> montage i to the point that i used one thing with that you
0: julian assange this song belongs to the cloud atlas trailer how dare you
1: thank you chris thank you for knowing that that is true um it does make me think of that every single time and like i guess good on the fifth estate for trying to fool me into thinking about better movies yeah um Oh, God, I keep thinking about that beginning montage. Honestly, the movie is on Netflix. Just go watch that first five minutes that take you from literally hieroglyphics to 9-11 in a minute and a half. It is quite something. As it stands, I think The Fifth Estate ultimately fails because it's a movie that thinks there should be a movie about Julian Assange, but doesn't really know what it wants to say about him. And... It's too bad. I almost want to give, like, Singer and Condon a chance to do it again in 10 years with a little bit of hindsight and a little bit of, I mean, Lord knows we might not even be at the end of this Julian Assange story. He might have, you know, God forbid there's another election coming up. He might have another bunch of shit up his sleeve. But we
0: should mention I would like to mention at least like the best actor field, which obviously Benedict Cumberbatch was nominated the very next year for the imitation game. So he ended up just fine. Yes. But like even if he was really good,
1: oh, this was he the... would have
0: had a really hard time this year because yeah. the eventual nominees, you have the winner, Matthew McConaughey, Chiwetel Four, Christian Bale, the surprise nominee for American Hustle at last minute. Stern for Nebraska, and Leonardo DiCaprio for The Wolf of Wall Street, but like you could stack the rest of like, you could have another five of like, really that's, good nominees who exa- were like right outside. I think
1: I wrote that that year that like, you could do an entire category of people who were not nominated for Best Actor that year, because it was Hanks for Captain Phillips, which still pisses was me the off that you didn't get that nomination. Um, Joaquin Phoenix for her. Right.
0: Which like was probably never gonna happen, but it's still a great performance that was, like, on the outside the whole time. The big performance Oscar that everybody...
1: Isaac. Yeah, the big performance that everybody sort of screamed and wailed about was Oscar Isaac and in Inside Lewin Davis. He's great. And,
0: yeah. And then you have things, like, that were also probably still ahead of, like, Benedict Cumberbatch in, like, biopic terms. You have Idris Elba playing Nelson
1: Mandela. Well, the other big snub was one that I thought could be a winner that year in the early goings, which was Robert Redford in... Uh, All Is Lost. lost. That great sort of one-man show. Uh, Best performance in my book. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's truly a big year, which is why it always pisses me off that Christian Bale got nominated for what I think is an actively terrible performance in American Hustle. I think he's... I mean, DiCaprio's another thing for me. I never liked The Wolf of Wall Street. I sort of... The cheese stands alone on that one. But I truly believe that, like, I think DiCaprio is giving a performance that I just could never connect to. Bale, I think, is bad. is just legitimately bad. I don't bad. think
0: he's bad. As somebody who, like, I feel like every single day, my appreciation and warmth for American Hustle and what it's doing, I will say that my mind never goes to Christian Bale.
1: So my thing with American Hustle is, I know I mentioned a Rorschach test earlier in this episode, but I feel like that movie is a Rorschach test for how you rank the performances, like which ones you think are good, which ones you think are bad, Um, because I don't think any two people see it the same way. I am a Amy Adams is great, Bradley Cooper is good, Jennifer Lawrence is bad fun, and Christian Bale is bad unfun. That's sort of how I... And honestly, I think Jeremy Renner is the second best performance in the movie after Amy Adams. He's really good in that movie. Yeah. Where are you?
0: Where do you fall? Um definitely Amy Adams. I think she's next freaking level in that movie. She's so good. Um tell me the name cuz I know you'll probably have this off the top of your head. The actress that plays uh Jeremy Renner's wife.
1: Oh, is that what's her full name She's Elizabeth Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Rome. She's yeah. so good. She's um honestly, I think she's great in that. I think she's maybe even better in Joy um which is yeah. a hugely maligned movie that we don't have time to get into right now but like some other talk some other episode where we talk about a 2015 movie we'll talk about joy yeah
0: i don't know i mean I think everybody's largely, like, I don't think there's any bad performances in that movie, but, like, Christian Bale would be towards the bottom and still being generous of, I don't think there's bad performances in
1: Ooh, that movie. she's a fan. She's a fan of American she, Hustle. She's a
0: fan. She's watched it a lot. A lot more than I thought I would after the first watch, because the first watch, I was like, it's fine. But then when I revisited it and, like, viewed it through the context of the movie is about nothing that the plot is telling yeah. you that the movie is about, um... Yeah, I, I I'm a fan.
1: Any last thoughts before we get into IMDb game?
0: Um, no, just that the only real awards traction this movie got was in swept up swept up in the like Benedict Cumberbatch storm that we mentioned. He was nominated for Body of Work prizes from the Britannia Awards. And the Columbus, Ohio Sen- uh, Film Critics Association, Ooh. formerly the Central Ohio Film Critics Association. I am a member. I was not at the time. Shout out to your um, home team. Shout out to the home team. Hey, guys. Um, so it's like, yeah, that's really all this movie was, like, thought of. And, like, the Benedict Cumberbatch batch, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. True. All right. Let's talk about IMDb Game. It's been... we we. Took a week off with our TIFF special, but I'm very happy to be jumping back into the IMDb game.
0: Yes, I, I, you know what? And you have also been very cruel to me. Hey, so I, hey.
1: I have Listen. a good one for
0: you. Well, wait. Before you do, like,
1: why don't you explain to the listeners what the IMDb game is?
0: Okay, so the IMDb game for familiar listeners or new listeners, whatever. Um, IMDb game, we give. We challenge each other to guess the known four, the top four um, entries on a famous person's IMDB page. Whatever their algorithm decides is the movies that we remember these people for. It's a strange algorithm. It's a mystery. We don't try to guess why. Every week Um, we
1: sacrifice a character actor to the algorithm and the algorithm is appeased for another week. The algorithm is fickle and cruel.
0: It rewards us only in insanity points. Yes. Um, caveats being, we will mention if there is television or voiceover work, we try to avoid the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Harry Potter movies because they always show up, always disappointingly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun game. It is. Thank we do it every week here on This Head Oscar Buzz. All
1: right. So you say I've been mean to you. I defy you, you to give me one example of how I've been mean to you, but okay.
0: Um, the last several weeks. Uh-huh. I have earned back my Jelko Ivanic points. Uh-huh.
1: I'm still mad at you for Michael Peña, whatever. Michael
0: Peña was easy. Calm down. Joe, who do you have for me?
1: All right, so I... Normally I like to go into why I picked a person that does... I'd pick somebody tangentially related to this week's topic. I won't explain the connection until after you've guessed, because the connection is a spoiler. But... I will say this is an immediately recognizable figure, much beloved, especially on our little corners of Twitter. She's also originally from my hometown of Buffalo, New York, so special props to that. I'm giving you Christine Baranski.
0: Christine! We love her. We love her. We love her. I'm I'm guessing because you haven't mentioned it, there is no television.
1: No television, no voiceover. Okay. Um... Chicago. Yep, that's the connection. So Bill Condon, uh screenplay yeah. nominee for Chicago. Uh, Christine Bransky plays Mary Sunshine, the journalist journalism connection. Ha uh-huh. ha. Uh, uh-huh. Chicago. Yes. Um, one for one. Mamma Mia. Yes, two for two. The Birdcage. Three for three. Nice. Off to yes. the start. I don't have any
0: clues yet. Ah, we also no. should have mentioned that we get clues. After we'll get years and two more wrong clues answers, after yeah. we get two wrong answers. Yeah. Um,
1: you might not need them.
0: I'm trying to think. This I is mean, the hardest one. She's in a bunch one. of musicals. She's in Into the Woods. Into the Woods. Yes,
1: four for four. Holy shit. Four for four. That's was the first four time four that four has happened four? on our lovely podcast. Um, Chris File four for four. you
0: doubt me. You doubt me. I am a homosexual. <laughs> and you think I don't know the movies Christine Baransky was in. <laughs> Never doubt me again, sir. Yes. Okay, so mine is really falling down the Bill Condon rabbit hole. Do you remember when he had a pilot for, I believe it was HBO, it might have been Showtime, for this show called Tilda that was loosely based on Enfant Horrible, Nikki Fink? I,
1: now that you mention it, yes, I do. I don't remember that I knew that Bill Condon was connected to it.
0: They filmed a pilot for it. It was not picked up to series. It died. I'm also, um, I'm always obsessed with like those shows that never get picked up but have a ton of famous people. Like, remember when HBO was going to do the corrections with Noah Bomback? Yeah. And had like Diane Wiest and Chris Cooper? I like would kill to see that pilot. They had a show um, that was
1: filming by my work called The Wonderful Maladies that was Sarah Michelle Geller and some other people. And I just remembered that title.
0: And like Steve McQueen had one with Paul Dano that was like. If also before like Smash pianist. happened they had
1: a pilot for um some other like behind the scenes of a Broadway show thing that I can't remember. Um was that the one with Norbert Leo Butts? I think it is, and it's the something year, and I can't remember what the The, the
0: Marvelous Year or the The Miraculous year, or something. year, right? Something yeah. Like
1: okay. The ca- All right, wait, before we do that, because I just want to read off the cast for this, because this is fucking amazing. This is the show we almost got, written by John Logan, and the pilot, I think, was going to be directed by Catherine Bigelow. Lee Pace, Eddie Redmayne, Susan Sarandon, Hope Davis, Franklin Jella, Patti LuPone, Norbert Leo Butts, Stark Sands, like... And we got none of this. It infuriates Sometimes
0: me. you're just like, how bad was this pilot? Laura
1: Osnes... That um, like
0: you can't just go to series because people will watch it for these actors like yeah yeah it's wild insane okay and so, Adam
1: Gattel was the was the music guy the composer for it yeah yeah.
0: yeah 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 um anyway shout out Light in the Piazza anyway one of the other I would say vastly underrated deserves much better career opportunities than she's had actresses that was on Tilda the pilot that never aired is now notoriously, allegedly, bit Beyonce's cheek. I'm talking about Sanaa (laughs) Lathan.
1: Sanaa Lathan, who, as we're recording this, has a new movie on Netflix this weekend um, called Napoli Ever After, in which she is quite good. Okay. Sanaa Lathan, Love and Basketball. Yes. Okay. Ugh. Ugh. Now here is where I'm like... And it's no television and no voiceover.
0: Nope. No television, which is a little shameful because she, like, was a real shot in the arm coming into Nip Tuck late. And she was, That's what I was gonna incredible guess. on that show. She was
1: really good on Nip Tuck.
0: Um, but she was only there for, like, a season and a half. And, like, that show had a shocking number of seasons. I think it had, like, seven seasons.
1: All right. I feel like Sonalathan is a little mean.
0: Um... It's a little mean because the answers are like not the Sonale than right, movies you would right. guess.
1: Also, she was in a lot of those like Oh, they're like these ensemble movies with like these really good all-black casts and She is also in a lot of Oh, oh, movies. oh, she was in the one that made a ton of money. Um Best Man Holiday. Nope. The Best Man.
0: No. God damn okay, it. that's two. Alright, I'm gonna give you years. Um, they're all post-Love and Basketball, which was like her breakout role. I love that movie. I love her in it so much. Um, the years, 2003, 2004, and 2006, they are all different genres. Oh, great. Um. That's the other tough thing about Sanaa Lathan is she's in all different kinds of movies. Romantic
1: comedies.
0: There is one romantic comedy.
1: Not Love and Basketball. Not Best Man or Best Man Holiday.
0: I will say, this is one of those like late winter Valentine's Day releases from who? Our favorite Focus Features. Oh. That may not help you.
1: This is the romantic comedy?
0: Yes. Uh,
1: is it like... Like a living out loud kind of like... It's a rom-com, but it also like she's like getting her life back together or whatever
0: i mean not really
1: mm. um i will tell you some of her wait is one of the other ones out of time yes out of time the denzel, washington. denzel
0: washington
1: i want to say carl franklin but i'm not positive
0: yes carl franklin
1: okay even directed Mendez. that film yep all right um So you have two. So there's a rom-com, and is the genre of the other one, it's not a rom-com, is it like a a junkie something?
0: Oh yeah, it's trash. It is a franchise movie, it is her highest grossing movie. And what year? 2004.
1: A franchise movie, but not like a good franchise movie.
0: Correct. I mean, it's, I could say something, but it would give it away. Um, It is a dual franchise movie. Oh,
1: Alien vs. Predator.
0: Yes, AVP, okay. Alien versus Predator. Okay,
1: yeah, dual franchise, sort of, yes. yes. Okay. I was so... also
0: going to say that it's part of a franchise that's currently in theaters, or at least as of this
1: recording. Alright, so this rom-com... <sighs> is the other, is the guy in it, like, really, like, more famous now than when he made it?
0: I feel like this guy is, like, always... Vaguely famous, like he's uh, not.
1: So it's not like somebody who's like a uh, Chris Evans or something like that. No, 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 no. I don't no, even no. know what movie I would be thinking. of To
0: my knowledge, he has never played a superhero. He's done a lot of TV work, including one show that like had a lot of weird fans that I I didn't understand that people even watched the show. Oh, uh, um, num
1: num, not Rob Morrow. Numbers, no. Um, shoot. Weird TV fans. Nathan Fillion.
0: Castle. No, but like I feel like they kind of blend together to me sometimes. Weirdly, this guy is—I'll say he's a Brit. Sometimes people don't know that he's a Brit. He doesn't always play one. Oh, Simon Baker. Um, Simon Baker. What's
1: the movie called? Um, they like—they go on like a blind date, right? I think so. Shit. Something new. Yes! God,
0: thank God. You got it. Congratulations. I can't
1: believe you did that to me.
0: <laughs> Isn't that torturous? Doesn't she deserve... Something
1: new. Come on now. I really she thought the d- Best d- Man she Holiday a was, gonna, career was gonna do it but for like, her.
0: She... Yeah, I know. I know.
1: Alas. Something new is
0: actually really sweet. Brown Sugar should be up there. Brown Sugar is so good.
1: That was another one of those, like those you know, she was in a lot of movies like that that were always better than you thought they were going to be. Anyway. She was in She's really good She's in, in a Apple really Ever good After.
0: version of Raisin, Raisin in the Sun. Yeah. She's also in Contagion.
1: All right. shouts to Sonali fan. stop biting Beyonce, huh? All
0: right. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> All
1: right. Take us home.
0: All right. So that's our episode. If you want more of this had Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had_oscar_buzz. Joe, tell our listeners where they can find you and your things.
1: I am every day at decider dot com talking about film and television and everything that is on streaming. I am also on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R E I D. Uh that is it? I'm on Letterboxd also. Um I don't know. Oh yeah,
0: we've never mentioned letterboxed. I should. I've been like letterboxd. trying
1: to be better about like being on Letterboxd. I can't remember what my actual I think I'm just Joe Reed on Letterboxd. So like find me, it's not too hard.
0: I have the same app for everything. Letterboxd, for me, is more of, like, a logging tool that I could use for, like, list type of things. I'm trying to like be more actively involved, involved in it. Thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm Chris File, I'm on Twitter at Chris V-File. That's F-E-I-L. Um, you can also find me on the Film Experience, Filmexperience.net Um, the Film Uh, writing about soundtracks, Oscar ephemera, actresses, etc. Um, but we would also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. All of the podcast places. You know, if you do multiple, give us a five-star review on any of them. Um, five-star reviews are super appreciated and help us become more visible on iTunes and other platforms. Uh, please be our anonymous sources of goodwill. We will never reveal the identities of our sources. No promises. Um,
1: no promises. See, so you were the Daniel uh, Berg and I was the Julian Assange there. No promises, uh, mate. No. I got Danny white promised- hair and no one knows why. I was in a cult. It was called The yeah. Family. We never talked about his cult, by the way. It's too late now, but like, look that up. Yeah
0: well he created a cult um, and uh, no that's all for <laughs> no. this week they'll call no. us lezzos
1: uh, <laughs> they think we're lezzos um,
0: yes exactly oh, no. uh, we, we kept it note, we together maybe so get well going. until the end yeah, and, uh, we hope you'll be back uh, next week for more buzz if our accents haven't killed it um, bye
1: lezzos everyone's a winner, baby that's so life You never play